humility follows too. Um, last Sunday was amazing for me because you guys ministered to so many of my friends and family. Um, when I talk with the leadership and they want to be able to have a church that's a small army, you guys did act as a small army. Uh, the food was great, but the fellowship was amazing, what you guys all did in this church. Um, it's always interesting because the one thing I learned watching you guys give testimonies is, um, and I know it's our leadership's desire, we got to use the gifts that are in this church overall. So for me, I never never want to be the central point of this church. I want this church family. And let me give you an example because where we are going today, where is, there he is, he's back there, Blue Joe. Blue Joe, I, when I was driving in this morning and I was thinking about arriving at this church, and I normally get here pretty early, but today traffic didn't allow me. But whenever I pull up, I find this guy sweeping up all over the church, cleaning up, setting things up, just serving Jesus. So I decided to put him on the spot because where we're going with this, and I, I went up to him and, you know what, tell me, tell me about how you met Jesus. Tell me about what really influenced you, what really spoke to you. And he said, well, I kind of knew about it as a kid, but I don't remember much of it. But he said, 10 years ago, I came here. I came to this church, and, and this is the strength of this church. And he said, I suddenly felt like I belonged somewhere. And this is where it gets good. He said, then I felt like I belonged to Jesus. And I was able to keep my eyes on the cross. So he just preached a whole sermon in a few minutes. But brother, thank you for your service in what you... Uh, yeah, we can go. Yeah, we can go home real quick here now. Boy. Yeah, <laughs> We're going to watch a video, and I want you to watch it carefully because I, I had the privilege of going to Thrive this week, and a, another church invited me and paid my way to go, and it was an amazing time of worship and, and things. And with this, I would like you to watch this video because I think as we look at what we can do for Christ and what we can do for the gospel, this is an important reminder. comes from a guy that works in the movie theater, but they don't have those anymore, do they? No, that's the countdown. Wrong video. Yeah, now, what I normally do, just so you guys, like Marshall brings videos, and he pulls full in the blanks, and he does these things. I don't only do it for you, but I do it for the future. Because young people engage with visuals, and there's ways you learn. One, you learn by reading, learn, you learn by listening, you learn by visuals, you learn by relationships, you do those things. So uh, we just try to build all that in the church because some of you are going like, man, Marshall, you're just like throwing so much new stuff at us. So, all right.
he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm, his own arm brought salvation and righteousness and he upheld them. So for me to see us, even when we don't intervene, when we don't do those things, I just came from that conference with 4,000 pastors and missionaries and get to hear Lincoln Brewster blow off the roof and get to hear all these great pastors. And I got to see all my pastors and missionaries from all the churches I served and it was, it was just a neat time. But my highlight, my highlight of this conference was Lewis Black. Uh, I've been able to watch Billy Graham on one of his last crusades, and Lewis Clow, I've been able to see him a few times and talk with him. But today, th uh, this week, was so much different. Lewis Clow was diagnosed six months ago with lung cancer and said he would not leave, live past Christmas, and he would never speak publicly again, and he would be too weak to go anywhere. So here's this man that comes out on the stage, and this man that comes out in front of everybody and probably has led more people to Christ than besides Billy Graham, in which, of course, Billy Graham led him to Christ, stands up and gives the simplest gospel message and teaches us how to spread it. During the entire time with his lung cancer, he coughed, and you could see him drenched with pain, but his zeal for Jesus was incredible. Matter of fact, he describes his trip to heaven. He says, you know, I consider heaven is like two air flights. Either you have a ticket to an H or you have another ticket to an H, and you get to pick which ticket you're going to take. His humor is just amazing. And he was so encouraged into these group of pastors. So then I went out with some of the pastors. We went and played golf, but I don't play golf. I, I'm a caddy and drive a golf cart. And we went out for, for coffee and those things. And some of these pastors that are friends of mine have this incredible gift of evangelism. And I'm sitting there in the golf cart, and I'm seeing them waiting at the holes to other people, and they're just explaining the simple gospel message. And this one pastor was just, he actually got one of these golfers to say, because he kind of talked him through it, and yeah, about this, and what do you think? And the past, we go to the next golf hole, and the guy finally turns to him and says, are you going to tell me the answer to the question about the gospel? And then I go to coffee with him, and I'm seeing him engage with the gospel with other people on that. And, and I love to engage with that. I don't particularly have the gift of evangelism, but we're all called to share the gospel. Amen? So I want to challenge you, because the one thing that Louis Palau said to me was deeply disturbing. He brought up a statistic by Gallup Poll for this year. And sometimes Gallup Poll probably says a little more realistic things than some Christian surveys. He said, this year is the first time in the United States that more, more people disbelieve the Bible than believe the Bible. I think that's impacted the church. So I may not have this real in-depth sermon for you today, but I do want you to be so equipped and so excited because when you go up and talk to people, when you go up and talk to them about the resurrection, their first thing is, so what? I've heard that. I've been there. I don't care anymore. How do we engage them? How do we join them? How do we do that? How do we not say like, Lord, we did nothing to intercede? Nothing. There's a very deeply broken world out there. I'm sure all of you in your own families have that ability. And there are two questions, two questions that they ask. Why does it really matter? So in a couple of weeks, we're going to see billions of people celebrate Easter. 
lot of people say I believe in the resurrection, but a lot of people I've learned don't even understand it. You ask them to tell me what you think the resurrection means or the gospel. These are people in the church or families or parents who can't even explain it to their children. So I think us, a small army, better be equipped. First of all, it's a historical fact. This, the resurrection was never done in secret. It was never. It was the whole city of Jerusalem and eventually the whole Roman Empire. There are 15 specific historical references of Jesus meeting people, touching people, talking people, writers outside of the Bible saying that this occurred, Josephus, all of those 15 historic. There's a great small group Bible study written by a former detective in L.A. who was a non-believer, and one day he kept being bugged to go to church, and he decided to use all of his detective techniques to see if this was really true. It is powerful. So one time, historically, Jesus cooks breakfast for some people after resurrection. One time, he talked to 500 people after he had risen from the dead. A lot of people saw him. So what does that really mean? And why are we so afraid to even share that to people? Why are we afraid to intercede in the moment? Number one, Jesus is who he claimed to be. Number two, Jesus has the power he claimed to have. And number three, Jesus does what he promises to do. If we get that, then we can help them the bridge. But we have to understand that. First of all, so what? What does the resurrection really mean? Jesus did claim to be who he be. John eleven twenty five, 25. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Jesus made outrageous claims when he was here on earth. He said, I am God. I am perfect. I'm the only way to heaven. I'm the Savior of the world. And a lot of people today say Jesus was just a good teacher. Baloney. He made claims of what he said. I'm going to do this. I am going to validate it. I am going to show you that I am this person that I have to talk about. So some of you know the story. One day Jesus with the money changers out the temple. He turned the ta tables over in this flea market atmosphere. He drove them out. And they came up and said, what right do you have to do this? Who do you think you are anyway? And he said, because I am God. They said, prove it. Okay, he said, I will. After you kill me, I'm going to come back to life three days later. Hmm. He claimed to be the God of a resurrection, and he claimed, backed it up. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can get to God the Father except by me. And that's a pretty strong claim that we need to be able to hold fast to and not water it down. In that passage, and I think I underlined it for you, underline the, the, said, I am the way. He did not say I'm one way. He did not say I'm a good way. He did not say any of those. He didn't say all roads lead to the same place. That would be like saying that I can dial home on any phone number and reach it. He says, I am the truth. He claimed to be what he said. No one can get to the Father except by me. Even if you don't believe that fact, the world was changed because of that fact. It was even earmarked, and they're trying to, of course, erase that away now by ADBC, 
to remind us of the power that came that day, that fast. Number two, as we explain the gospel to those who say, so what, in a day that is so confusing, and we need to do it with boldness. And we, I, I sometimes wonder if Christians even believe this anymore. All power in, on heaven and earth and was given to me. Because Jesus said what he could do. In John 10, 18, nobody takes my life from me. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. He had the power to lay his life down. He could have stopped it. He could have did that, but why? Just like what you were saying. You're focused on the cross, what Christ did for you. No one could keep him in the tomb, even though the Romans killed him. Even though the tomb, they blocked it in. They put a big stone. They sealed it with the Roman seal. They posted a 24-hour guard. They were only trying to prevent what he promised. My life way I can take it up again you know you know where that saying came from and it did come from I check it out you can't keep a good man down no one takes away my life from me I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to bring it up again you have to remember that because if we're going to be able to tell this world those who like say hey did you even connect to me if we don't believe in the power of Christ to, to raise himself again, how are we ever going to teach people the power to be healed or the power to get rid of the obstacles in their life? That that's the same God. Jesus does what he promises to do. They will mock me and flog and kill me, but after three days I will come back to life again. I love it that the cross was no surprise to Jesus was a part of his plan. And I kind of wrestle with this. How would I feel if I was one of those soldiers that put Jesus to death and then to see him walking around? How would I have felt on that aspect? You publicly executed a man in front of thousands of witnesses and seen him die and seen him buried and saw the stone, and saw the guards, and three days later, you hear about him walking around the city. That's a God that keeps his promises. The angel said, do not be frightened. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he isn't here. He has come back to life again, just as he said he would. Promises. In a world today that doesn't believe in anything as a promise, when they look at this crazy political environment and those things, don't you think we, when we intercede, need to believe in the promises of Christ and be able to share that so readily? He did what he promised. And we need to be able to explain when God makes a promise, we can count it. We need to explain. Expect it. That's one thing they were talking about churches that are blooming, that are taking off, small churches that are growing. You have to believe in expectation that God can do it. And for me, I want to expect those things in people's lives. I want to be there because Jesus did rise. He did do what he said he would do. He does have the power and the promises. So, so what? 
So what, they would say, he, maybe he did do all of those things, Marshall. What does that really matter to me? What difference does that make to me? Maybe he did do all of those things, but what does it have to do with me today? And these are the bridges. If we want to intercede with people who are broken in this world, we've got to be able to help them in easy terms. This is the one of the most important ones because people live in such darkness if they don't get this because he did what he said he would do. My past can be forgiven. I don't know about you. Have you ever started a project and got halfway through and like painting a house or whatever and you go like, oh man. But when I counsel people, when a lot of times I think people feel that way about life. I feel like I'm halfway through my life and I've done nothing. I've made all these mistakes. I have the wishes. I have my regrets. I have the feelings of guilt. And us being able to tell this, and when you counsel people, when you see people come in and they feel the guilt and they do these things, and you present the gospel, and sometimes even Christians don't even believe this. If Christ could do everything he said and he did what he did on the cross, why are you holding on to the guilt? Guilt is apparent. Guilt is things you could have done better. Something went very wrong. I feel so hurt. These are things that I hear. I'm embittered. I can scarcely react to people anymore. I feel like I'm going to have to sit down, that the rest of my life is lived in a penalty box. That's what the resurrection that we get to help free people of that. The tragedy is that I know there's a lot of people like that, and I'm sure you guys know. They can't get on with the present future because they are stuck. Full of regret, and it's tied them down. Former relationships that maybe they messed up or their current relationships are messed up. They're going through, they're running with baggage. They have emotional junk all the way around them trying to live life, and they're wondering why they're not happy. And we get to deliver the resurrection promises that he filled. Colossians 3.14, he has forgiven all our sins, has canceled every record and debt we owed. Christ has done away with it by nailing it to the cross. The pardon. And you know, I don't know about you, I get that whisper in my ear. Marshall, you blew it. I, I can sometimes like be sitting at night and have a thought that a mistake I made as a teenager, boom, enter my head in the mirror, and I'm going like, where the heck did that come from? I know God forgave me of that. He just nailed it in the cross, so why do I or you or this world that we need to help keep nailing it down? He wants to cancel those records. He wants the relational debts to be set us free from. He reminds us, he paid it, now forget it. doesn't mean I don't learn from it. Once God's forgiven it, probably one of the most verses that I use when counseling people with regret or regrets or just feeling guilty about things is Romans 8.1. And I actually cause them to memorize it before they leave my office. And every time they come back for counseling, I have them repeat it. And this will be abbreviated, but there is no condemnation awaiting for those who belong to Christ. That's the power of the resurrection. 
that's the power that I think we need to be able to share. Now, I don't, you guys are all a lot younger than me, and I, know, I think there's a rebirth of this toy. Anybody remember the Etch-A-Sketch? You know, you do this stuff, and you make a mistake, and you turn it upside down, and, and then, hey, I can start all over. That's what Jesus did. That's what he did for me. I didn't come to this world to condemn the world. I came to save it. The other thing is if we really believe, we see that if Christ did what he did, we get that we can be powerless. If Christ had all the power to be able to do those things, and we believe that, and we believe in that resurrection, my present problems can be managed. My present problems can be managed. Can you imagine people like in that video that are going through struggles in that and we're able to tell them that because of the power of what Christ did on the cross, what he did with rising again, you can manage your present life. That same power is available to you today. And it seems like maturity is when we figure out that we can't do it all. Maturity is when you realize you can't manage everything in your life that's coming your way. But God can. That's the incredible news on this story. I can't control everything, but God can. And these are the things that I hear, and maybe you never have heard these, but this is what I hear those people that we need to be involved in. My life is out of control. Well, I know where the power is. I feel powerless to change a situation. I feel powerless to break a habit. I feel powerless to save my relationship and my marriage. I feel powerless to get out of debt. I feel powerless to manage my time anymore. If you need power greater than yourself, we need to be able to teach people that life is just not our own power. Ephesians 1.20 says, How incredible God is, His power to help those who believe in Him. That the same mighty power that raised Him uh, from the dead. This same power. This is where I think sometimes I get wimpy. When I'm talking to people that are struggling in those things, and I see how monumental their problem is, and I go like, man, Lord, I know it's the same power. All they have to do is cling to you. The same power when we fret over our children or our grandchildren. The same power when we face sickness. same power used in the resurrection 2,000 years ago is what we need to communicate to a very, very broken world. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what next week, next month holds. But I do know the promise in Philippians 4. I'm ready for anything through Christ who lives in me. No matter how hopeless the situation is or people that you're helping, and some of you may even came in here crawling this morning with hurt. Maybe you've had a tough week. And here's what God would say to you. Don't give up. Don't you think that's what the world, those people need? Don't give up. I don't want to have God amazed because I didn't intervene. I want God to be amazed because we as a family who believe in the power of Christ can intervene and help. But I do know it's through his salvation and his power. No situation is hopeless. Uh, but I've heard it. Well, Marshall, you just got to have positive thinking. And uh, you just got to psych yourself up. I'm ready for anything through Christ who lives in me. The last point. If we truly believe 
that God's promises, he filled them in the Bible. He filled the prophecies. And we're communicating to a world that's struggling with that. Like, really, what does that mean? So he filled, so he rose from the dead. What does that really mean to me? We get to tell them that their future is secure. We get to communicate that in a way. I don't know about you. When I go to a party or I go over to a house or I meet a new person and I bring up the subject of death, it's kind of a party killer. <laughs> it just doesn't go over real big. But we all face it. I'm going to read, and you guys probably have seen these books, but I love them. These are children when they ask what they believe about fate or about death. Gilda, age eight, said, when you die, they put you in a box and bury you in the ground because you don't look so good. <laughs> Stephanie, age nine, said, doctors help you so you won't die until you pay their bill. <laughs> Marcia, age nine, said, when you die, you don't have to do homework in heaven unless your teacher is there too. <laughs> Raymond, age 10, I love this one. A good doctor can help you so you won't die. A bad doctor just sends you straight to heaven. <laughs> I love the fact, and, and just being able to teach, it, this is the preschool to what is amazing to say that. And one of the things when you understand the depth of heaven and, and, and how incredible it is, and I, I tend to teach this class to Stephen's ministers or grief care, people who have just lost husbands, because I think if you understand the amazing picture painted in God's word about heaven, you realize what you can do here on earth. You bring them here. The promise is there, the perfect place, the peace, the total joy, the perfection, the no sin, the no mistake. But in order for us to be there, we've got to realize none of us is perfect. None of us. And I love how um, Palau sort of explained this. There's two ways to get in heaven. Plan A, you earn it. The performance plan, you never sin. You never do what's wrong. You do everything right all your lifetime. You always make the right decision. You always say the right thing. And you never do anything wrong. you just got to be perfect. That's plan A. Plan B is you trust Jesus to establish your relationship with him, and you know I am the way, the truth, and the life. Man, in a world that now no longer is the majority in the United States that believe in the Bible, I know you guys, each one of you, if you're able to explain that to your family, I believe in the power of that resurrection. I believe in those things. And there's no perfect person in this world. And I think when you're talking to people about that, and they realize it. Because yeah, I've heard it all. Oh, I was a good person. I did these things. But it starts with trusting and teaching people to trust and for us to trust and us to have a heart for that. So do we, do we, do we really believe he did what he said? He had the power to do it. And he kept his promises. Because if we do that, and we have that opportunity, whether you're on a golf cart waiting for people or in a coffee restaurant, when the door opens, you don't have to be an evangelist. You just have to be able to share. And you have to be able to apply it to him. And for me, I want to see this church. I, and I do see this in this leadership. I, Marshall, I could preach a very in-depth sermon and have 42 points and try to have you discover something. But for me... This is the most important thing we can do as a church is the gospel. 
says, I do not want to move God by doing nothing else. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the promises. I thank you how you fulfilled scripture. I thank you how you loved us in such a way, Lord, that you give every one of us an opportunity. Lord, I pray for every individual here this week. As an opportunity arises to be able to share their heart and share the resurrection, Lord, as they approach Easter, or to invite somebody, or just to be able to have a conversation over coffee. I pray their heart is so perked in a way that they are so filled with knowing that you did what you said you would do. You have all power. And that you keep your promises. And with that, Lord, let us introduce it to a world so they don't have to live in guilt. So they don't have to feel defeated. And so that they can face the cross just like Blue Jay and know they're a part of you. And all of God's people said, Amen. Would you stand and worship with me? forgiven because you were forsaken I'm accepted you were condemned and I'm alive and well the spirit is within me all because you died and rose again I'm forgiven 